Finding the capital to fund a franchise may seem like an overwhelming task, maybe even unattainable. However, there are so many avenues to funding, and one of them is actually investing in yourself. Join me as I talk with CEO of Benetrends, Rocco Fiorentino, as he discusses a very unique and innovative way to invest in yourself and your own franchise. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. And welcome to another episode of Franchise You. And I have a real treat today. With me, I have Rocco Fiorentino, who is the CEO of Benetrends. And we're going to talk about Benetrends in a minute. But first of all, I want to introduce Rocco. Welcome, Rocco. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your program. So you are the vice chairman and CEO of Benetrends Financial, and you have more than 35 years of experience in franchising. And I know firsthand that's a lot. So you've worked in real estate and you actually were a franchisee with Krispy Kreme. You have a master's degree um, in management and leadership, which I can't wait to talk about. You serve on a number of boards, such as the multi-unit franchise conference board and educational boards, including our very own Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence here at the University of Louisville. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's start with you. Tell us about your journey of being a Krispy Kreme franchisee. Let's talk about that for a moment. Sure. Thanks so much. So back in the late 90s, I was in the bagel business. We were franchisors. That was kind of by default. I didn't plan on doing that, but ended up with a lot of bagel stores and uh, we sold to a publicly traded company. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about what my next plan was. And I love Krispy Kreme. Krispy Mm -hmm. Kreme has been around since 1937, born out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you've ever had one, you know that it is the best donut on the planet. So they decided to franchise after many years of of, uh, company-operated units. And I wanted to get in on it because I had just sold my business and I wanted to stay in franchising. So I made several calls down to uh, the development person and they ignored all my calls. Ah. So after about a year, the guy's name was Phil Wall, great guy. He was the VP of development for Krispy Kreme. And because they were such high profile brand, they were very selective. So after about a year, uh, his secretary, Abby, was so very nice to me all the time, but was not able to get me an appointment with Phil. So I said, Abby, uh, I sent her flowers and chocolates and all kinds of cool things. And I said, Abby, I'm going to be in town next Monday and I'm going to come to the office Now, Monday, I'll smell a lot better than Friday, but I'm not moving until I get lunch with Phil. So please let Phil know that I'll be in the lobby from Monday to Friday, and I'll take anything, any minute he has available to me. So finally, I didn't know this at the time, but um, the the late, great Dick Clark was also looking to get the franchise rights to the Philadelphia market, which is where I was. Ah. They weren't telling me that. I found that out at lunch. I finally did have lunch with Phil on that Monday, by the way. And he knew that I was persistent and I was yes. the right guy for the franchise. So I went down there and was able to meet with the senior leadership team, told them of my experience in franchising and certainly in, in bagels, in dough, uh, which is, you know, what the donuts are. And after about uh, six weeks, we decided to pull the trigger and they allowed me to develop PA, New Jersey and Delaware. So I had three states to develop. Wow. And boy, boy, what a fun ride. That was right before they went public. 
So when they went public, uh, they went on Wall Street in New York and we had the big uh, donut trailer and we were giving out donuts all day. And it was one of the best days of my life. And actually, that's probably the best chapter in my book, Krispy Kreme. I never uh-huh. saw a brand in my life that never did any marketing. All they did was PR. And, you know, I got to realize that public relations is simply a relationship with the public. That's all mm-hmm. it is. And that's why they call it public relations. Yeah. And we absolutely had a relationship with the public and the public had a relationship with our donut. People would say, oh, my God, it's a donut. It's full of calories. Well, when you want to treat yourself, that's the best darn donut on the planet. And don't you ever forget it. <laughs> so uh, had a lot of fun, developed over the seven or eight years. And then I sold back to corporate. Uh, they were buying markets back and wanted to do some other things. When they went public, they raised a lot of money. If uh, if any of the listeners uh, remember uh, the stock, man, boy, oh boy, it shot up like a rocket. It split three times. So everybody made a lot of money from it. They had a lot of short sellers that were looking to make money on the downside as well. But it was one hell of a ride. Mm-hmm. I remember distinctly that there's a Time Magazine article, and on the front cover is a big donut. And it says that Krispy Kreme is the... Uh, I guess they called it the best brand in the world. Now, you're talking about Coca-Cola and Yum and all these fabulous brands. And here's this little North Carolina company, you know, taking center stage for the best brand in the world. So it was a heck of a ride, Kathleen, and I loved every minute of it. I bet. So you've talked a lot about what was rewarding. What was challenging about being a franchisee, especially moving from a franchisor to a franchisee? What were some of the challenges you had? Yeah, good question. So I was a franchisor. And when I was, I was responsible to manage a system and a team and deal with franchisees. I call them my children. We all have the same last name, whatever the name of the brand is. So when I became a franchisee of Krispy Kreme, my last name was Krispy Kreme. And I had to do with all my other Krispy Kreme siblings did. So uh, they hired a marketing guy. He was from Hanes Underwear, knew nothing about food, and not sure why they hired him. And he started to put things in place that really uh, drove us crazy. So I was able to work a deal with the Philadelphia International Airport and put Krispy Kreme in the airport. Mm. Unfortunately, you don't get a lot of space in the airport. And as you know, and many of the listeners know, you have to have what I call a limited menu whenever you mm-hmm. have you know any of these types of, of, of sites. I call them non-traditional sites, right? So instead of having uh, 25 or 30 donuts, we can only have 10. So my marketing director gave me the information on the top 10 selling donuts in our market. Mm-hmm. Vanilla Iced was one of them. It's kind of popular in the Northeast, but not popular maybe elsewhere in the country. So we submitted the 10 donuts we were going to sell. And the marketing director for Krispy Kreme said, no, 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 you're going to sell maple donuts. Maple mm-hmm. donuts only really sell in Detroit and areas close to Canada where they like maple. Uh, Certainly not in my market. So we had this long battle and I ended up calling the CEO, Scott Livingood. And I said, Scott, you know, I I think one of two things is going on here. Either you have the wrong franchisee in this market or I have the wrong brand. I said, but in order for us to be successful, here's what I think we need to do. And the marketing director is telling me what to do. And I have to even buy the the donut signage from them in in North Carolina. So I couldn't even decide on my own. So that's where I think Mm. franchisors are listening. You know, there's there's certain things you've got to give credibility to and rely on your franchisees. If you Mm -hmm. talk to the folks at McDonald's, they'll tell you the franchisees created the Egg McMuffin Mm -hmm. and a lot of the different things. So, you know, if you don't listen to them and and it's more command and control instead of encourage and inspire, you really don't have a system that allows you to grow. So we had a battle. We kind of arm wrestled over it and we ended up putting in the donuts we believe sold. And I I was totally open and said, if they don't work out, 
It's really simple enough to change them. I've got 25 varieties coming down the line every day. I can send anything I want over there, you know, because we weren't manufacturing there. So that's the downside to a system. And uh, there were some other things. They wanted to go wholesale in a big way. And our donut didn't have any um, any ingredients in there that would allow it to have a shelf life, like mm-hmm. Tasty Cake or Little Debbie or anyone or Entenmann's or any one of our competitors. Mm-hmm. So you as a consumer would say, I heard about these Krispy Kreme donuts. They're unbelievable. They're hot off the line. They melt in your mouth. They're fabulous. So now you go into a grocery store and you see the box of Krispy Kremes and you say, oh, my God, let me buy them. Let me try them. Well, when you get them home, they're already a day and a half old. I made them two days ago. I delivered them to the store. They sat on the shelf. You took them home. You forgot about them tonight. You opened them tomorrow morning. Well, they're nothing like what they described to you. And you already get let down. Right. So it actually ruined our brand. Yeah. I can can see that. It was was not pretty, but we overcame it. And uh, we still had the best donut on the planet. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun developing. Uh, everybody loved the brand. Uh, I always have a funny story about uh, when people would introduce me. They'd introduce me as Rocco and they'd shake my hand, say, hey, Rocco, how are you? And then they'd say, Rocco is the developer for Krispy Kreme. And then instead of the handshake, I got what I call the brand shake. And they grabbed my arm and hand and go, oh, my God, Krispy Kreme. Hi, Rocco. How are you? Like, well, why was I not that good enough a second ago? Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's always the, power. the handshake and the brand shake. Yeah, the power of the brand. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> well, let's switch gears a, a little bit and talk about your journey towards the master's degree. You've shared that with me before, but tell our folks about that. So I will admit it's my little dirty secret. And the reason it's my little dirty secret is kind of got kicked out of high school in 10th grade. And I never went back to school. I went to a, uh, a school for a trade. Mm-hmm. And I went for air conditioning, heating, refrigeration. I was too young. I was only 15. So I couldn't stay out of school. You have to be 16 in Pennsylvania to stay out of school. And I was working, always working since I was 13. Mm-hmm. So my dad said to me, I was $3,200 for the course back then. Wow. This is, and this is in 1971. And uh, so he said, I'll tell you what you do. You're working. You pay for the tuition. And I'll also every month put the money away. And when you graduate, you're going to have a check for $3,200. You could do whatever you want. If you don't graduate, you get nothing from me. You basically wasted your time and your money. So I graduated first in my class and I opened a business. I bought a little truck and away I went. So uh, that started an opportunity for me. I was an entrepreneur at an early age Mm -hmm. and I never looked back. But then, you know, later in life, when I was in my late 40s, I had hired a um, an executive coach. Her name is Dr. Kathy Greenberg, still around, fabulous woman. And she coached me on a lot of things that I may have learned through college if I ever went to college. And one day she sat me down. She said, you know, you're pretty intriguing. I want to ask you one question. What is the one thing you want that you can't get? I said, a college education. She said, you don't need one. I said, I know, but you didn't ask me what I needed. You asked me what I wanted. Right. So I said, can you help me? She said, yeah, I've got a relationship with Dr. Peter Dean. He is a professor at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, right in my neighborhood. And uh, at the time, I was the CEO of United Financial Services. We were based in Philadelphia. We had about 200 franchisees. Uh, He called me and he said, why do you want to go to graduate school? He was running the graduate program. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I'm happy to go to college, but I don't know that I have four years and I don't know that, you know, it will be a good use of my time. So he said, um, I'm doing an MBA program here at Wharton. I said, to be honest with you, I don't really want to be a business administrator. I want to be a leader. So I don't really want an MBA. 
I'd rather have something else. Is there anything else I can do rather than be an, an administrator? He said, I am just starting a new program called the MSM, Master of Science in Management, with an emphasis on leadership. Hmm. And he said, it's totally different than the MBA. And there's 10 different courses. Um, some of it's business law, some of it's accounting. Uh, a lot of it is management and leadership. So I said, wow, uh, how much is it? He said, $35,000 for the course. This is back 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't you come to my office and visit with me? And I'll tell you all about my history and maybe um, some things you'll need to know if we're going to be able to do this. So he came to the office uninvited and he walked mm -hmm. in one day. And while he was uh, there, we were getting ready to uh, launch our franchise con uh, convention that year. Now, as a franchisor of 200 units or 200 franchisees, we were doing an exercise with Legos. Oh. And the purpose of the exercise was to teach our franchisees how to teach their employees so they can be good employees. What was happening, Kathleen, was in our system, our franchisees were hiring people like we all do today. Most of them were unskilled and minimum wage, uh, which is a lot more money today than it's ever been. But they come into the business and I say they, they would say to them, sit here, do this. I'll be right back. I'm going to the bank. Mm -hmm. And then when they come back, they give them orders again and give them orders again and give them orders again. Never do they give them really instruction or training. So mm -hmm. this was a big problem early on with small businesses. So we took Legos and our goal was to put our franchisees in groups of 10 at tables. So I'd have 20 tables of 10 people and I'd give each of them a bag of Legos and say, you've got 20 minutes to design something. I didn't tell them anything more than that. And in 20 minutes, you could design a boat, a rocket ship, a house. I don't really care. Do something with it. So they did it. 20 minutes later, the buzzer goes off and they all have something pretty creative on the table with the Legos. Now comes the trick. So I said to them, okay, now you've got to disassemble that. And here's a piece of paper. You can either write the instructions down verbatim or you could draw or both. But you need to put something in the bag with all the Legos that you took apart and give it to the next table and see how well they build what you built. Ah. And so he comes in while we're doing this. And I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you, but we're in the middle of something. You're welcome to sit in. So he sits in. And this is important when I tell you about my first day at graduate school. So he sits in, he loves the idea, and it really does work because people realize the light bulb goes off and says, oh, my God, now I know what we're doing. It's obvious that we're not training our people. All we're doing is giving them orders, right? You put the red one here, the blue one there. That, that doesn't help them when you're not there. Mm -hmm. So uh, we meet, and I uh, said to him, why don't you go around the office before you speak with me and interview my team? I had about 35 people at the time. So he went around the office. Everybody gave him the stories. And he came back and he said, wow, he said, I really love this place. He said, I love you. I said, well, here's the problem. I said, I didn't graduate high school and I never went to college, but I have the money and I'm happy to pay it in advance. And I've made money and lost money, uh, unlike a lot of the students that you may get in. And I have an extreme desire to go to graduate school. And I have more experience than probably most of them in the class. Mm -hmm. So why would you deny me the right to educate myself if that's what I want? He said, I, I don't know. I need to talk to everybody about it. I said, can I get as many work credits as someone else would get as, you know, class credits? Mm -hmm. And don't forget, you know, I'm really dedicated to this. So long story short, they admitted me and I was the first one in, last one to leave. I would bring in pretzels, cheesesteaks, all that kind of fun yeah. stuff. And really kind of got the support of, of, of the class that I was in. And I had a blast. So I graduated uh, one of the top two of my class, of course. Awesome. And uh, we had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. 
And, uh, you know, I was able to get my master's degree. So I was in heaven. And uh, more than that, it was a lot of fun for me. I learned a lot. And oh. uh, we, I can tell you a lot of stories about that one day. But uh, the, the end result was graduated and I loved it. And I have a lot of friends from class that uh, I still am in touch with and have a lot of fun with. You know, Rocco, you have just provided us with two wonderful examples of persistence and knowing what you want from the Krispy Kreme franchise to a master's degree. Thank you for sharing that. Um, As I said, we could talk about that all day and I'd love to, but I want to get into Benetrends as well, because now you are doing fabulous things at Benetrends. And when I read the headline on your website, I thought, whatever time I talk to Rocco, this is the truth, transforming dreams into businesses. That is what your headline is. Tell us a little bit about Benetrends, maybe the history and and what that tagline, but what that really means to you, because I think it's much more than that. Yeah, certainly. Thanks so much. So 40 years ago, our founder, Lynn Fisher, who's an ERISA attorney, he's been a pension attorney for 55 years. He's currently licensed in PA, New York, and California. And he was a a pension attorney in California at the time. And he had a friend who wanted to start a business. And the only money he had was his retirement money, Mm -hmm. which, as many of us know, is bubble wrapped and you can't take it out unless you pay stiff penalties and fines and early withdrawal penalties and things like that. So Len started to really take a look at the written law and figured out a lot of us obviously have financial services, uh, people that help us. We have uh, managers that manage our retirement plans, whether it's Vanguard or uh, Wells Fargo or anyone else. And what they do is they manage our money and they make a commission from doing that. And most of the time, they either buy annuities or they invest in publicly traded companies. The reason they invest in publicly traded companies is they want to buy the stock at one price and sell it at another. Correct. Now, we really never understand the management of these companies. You could buy Apple or or Microsoft or or any one of these big brands out there and buy the stock because someone told you or gave you a tip that it was a good stock to buy. You mm-hmm. call your financial advisor, you tell them to buy it, and away we go. Mm-hmm. So he realized that as long as we can create a C-Corp, and the reason it has to be a C-Corp is we have to buy stock. Right. Uh, as long as we buy stock in a C-Corp, that C-Corp could be ours. We could take that money out tax deferred and penalty free and invest it in our company, the company we're going to form and start a franchise or any business for that matter, and do the same thing. So he was really the architect of what we fondly call the Rainmaker. Uh, the government gave it the name the Robs because, I mean, I, I kind of like that because they're getting <laughs> robbed of their taxes, of course, but they call it the Robs rollover for business startup. And when they say rollover, Uh, In a lot of cases, a lot of us have done a rollover. So, for example, you're at the University of Louisville, Mm -hmm. and for the last 20 or 30 years, you may have been there, and you've got a couple million bucks in your retirement plan. If you left there today and went to another university, you would take that because you're no longer an employee, and you'd have to roll it over into your new university's plan. You basically did a rollover. And in Mm -hmm. fact, you may invest in the university if they had stock. If you went to Microsoft and started an educational program at Microsoft, you were probably able to buy stock. You could do that with your retirement funds. And as the stock goes up in value, if you do sell it and there's a a profit, that profit goes back into your retirement plan tax deferred. Again, there's no capital gains on it till you take it out till you have a taxable event. Mm -hmm. So when he did this 40 years ago, he thought, wow, uh, this is fabulous. And uh, him and his wife, Cheryl, went to a small trade show in California. And at that trade show, there were a lot of franchisors and a lot of brokers, business brokers. And he started going around the table and telling them all about this rollover for business startup. And no one could believe it. They're like, no, 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 that's impossible. It must be illegal. 
And still today, 40 years later, Kathleen, we still get accountants and lawyers that say it's illegal. So, well, if we escape jail for 40 years, we're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we started. I joined uh, Bennett Trends about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and I joined actually as a member of the board of advisors. So Len was oh. building the business and he said, I'm getting older. I think obviously all of us are smarter than one of us. Let's start to get some people in as advisors. So I've been in the franchise industry a long time. So I was recommended to uh, to Len. We met, we connected immediately. And uh, for two or three years, I was on the board, but I was very active. I would get involved in the sales meetings and get involved in a lot of the different things they were doing, much more than any typical advisor or board member would. Uh, and then they asked me to uh, to take over as CEO and uh, they were going to kind of retire. And I said, that's about 12 years ago. Uh, but at that time, we only had the rollover. That's the only product we had. Today, we have many, many more products. And at that time, we had, I think, 28 people. We have 100 people now. Wow. So a big difference uh, over the last 12 years. Oh, yeah. certainly. So let's talk a little bit more about this rain. Let's call it the Rainmaker. I love that <laughs> name. Let's talk more about that. So say I come to you, I've worked for a lot of years, and I have, let's just say, I don't know, I have half a million dollars in my 401k. Yes. How would I, how would we get started? And I say I wanted to own a franchise. Yes. How would I get started? Pretty simple. So once you contact us, we would take a look at where your retirement plan is currently. Okay. It could be with your former employer or your current employer if you're leaving. We then design a new plan for you. So we really create a brand new retirement plan for you. And we take the money from your existing plan and put it into your new plan. Now, you may not want to move all 500. Let's say you're buying a business that costs 250. Mm-hmm. You can leave 250 in your existing retirement plan, or you can bring the whole 500 over, use 250 for your new C Corp and still have 250 unused. But let's get back to building the business. You decided to buy a franchise. Let's say you decided to buy one of the Yum franchises mm-hmm. and you wanted to do a Taco Bell. And there was a $500,000 investment to do that. We would design a new plan. We would incorporate you and create a C Corp. Okay. And we, that plan would buy the stock in the C Corp and then put the money into your C Corp. So your C Corp now is formed and it has a half million bucks in the account to start your business. So gotcha. now you're a business owner. Your C Corp is owned by your retirement plan and you've got a half million bucks in there. So you pay the franchise fee, you build out your store, you've got your working capital, you start to hire your people and open your doors and away you go. And as the corporation earns money, the retirement earns money as well, correct? So the corporation is earning money, it's profitable, and it's owned by the retirement plan. When you sell the business for whatever you sell it for, hopefully a million bucks, not a half million for what you paid, all that money goes back into your retirement plan and there's no capital gain. So today in your retirement plan, if you bought Apple at $20 and sold it for 100, what would happen? Nothing in terms of a taxable event. Correct. You go back into you say, "Oh my God, I bought Apple. I I spent two hundred thousand. Now I got four hundred fifty thousand dollars back. That goes back into your retirement plan, and you decide to invest the additional money elsewhere." Gotcha. So, in a lot of cases, gotcha. after you've been in business and you got the entrepreneurial bug, you really don't want to retire. Now you say, "I did this. I opened up a Taco Bell, and I sold it five years later for twice the money. Now what am I going to do?" Which is what happened with me with Krispy Kreme when I sold the the bagel business. Yeah. Okay, what am I going to do now? Now I'm going to go in the donut business. So now you take out that money again. You form another C corp, and you go at it again. So you're really working. And don't forget, all this money is tax deferred, right? So that five hundred thousand dollars that we talked about initially, Kathleen. Mm-hmm. 
if you were to take it out, it would really end up being $300,000. Because the government's going to take their 10% early withdrawal and their 30 or 40% uh, tax rate based on the, the, the rate you're at. So you're now working with about 40% of the government's money to start your business. And you have no debt service. Mm. So when you buy Apple stock, Apple doesn't pay you back. That's true. So that money is invested in the stock and you own the stock. If the stock goes up or down, great or not so great. Same thing here. So instead of taking an SBA loan out and paying back, especially at today's rate, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11%, you basically funded your business with your retirement plan. You actually invested in yourself, if you could believe that or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your financial planner and advisor is investing your money in everything else that you know nothing about. Right. Now you get an opportunity to invest in you. When I first heard about this, I was just fascinated with it. So I've done some research on it. What happens if for some reason your business doesn't succeed? Then what? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's an excellent question. And I never really say this, but now that you asked, it's the cheapest way to fail. And I'll tell you why. If you and I did the same business, we both bought a Taco Bell. Right. You you used your retirement funds, 500000 mm. I didn't. I paid cash for it or I borrowed money. Mm. Now, we both fail. Well, you lost $500,000 of which really would have been, if you took it out, $300,000. Right. I lost 500000 that was taxed. So uh. that five hundred was really eight hundred. Ah. Uh. See, that money I used was was already taxed and I put it into the business. True, true. So I was losing 800 of the same value dollar. Well, really, I lost 500. You lost 300. You started with five. I started with eight. Gotcha. So that, that's hard to understand. But if you realize how the money gets to be the amount it is, you start to realize. Right. And I'll never say to someone, it's the cheapest way to fail. That just doesn't sound right to me. It it really is the cheapest way yeah. to fail. If you had $500,000 in your checking account, that means that it started at 800 somewhere before it was taxed. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you did an SBA loan because your spouse said, honey, I don't ever want to touch the retirement plan. That's the Bible. We never touch that. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, my feeling is that all dollars in our family are retirement dollars, not just what's uh, right. bubble wrapped in my retirement plan. So any asset we have, whether it's the equity in our home or anything else, is my retirement fund when I t- when I decide to retire. But um, if you did take an SBA loan out, you have to pay that loan back. That loan was only done, and we do SBA lending, I'll share that with you. Uh, in most states other than Texas and some homestead states, uh, the lender wants the equity in your home as collateral for the loan. So now we both fail. Right. You fail, you lose your 500000 and your retirement plan is now zero. Because you had five hundred in it, you took it out, you lost the business, you have nothing. But you didn't lose anything. You lost money you didn't have yet. It was bubble wrapped and you used it. I have a loan. My 500000 is still in my retirement plan. I didn't use it. I didn't do a rollover. Now the bank's coming after me. They want to take my house away. Mm-hmm. I have to go into my retirement plan and get the 500, pay tax and early withdraw, and end up with 300 to pay the mm-hmm. bank off. And I'm wow. still not there. So it's a beautiful thing. And I never tell anyone it's the cheapest way to fail, but it really is the cheapest way to fail. Right. 
if failure is an option for you, it's the cheapest way to fail. It's not an option for me. So I hear you, obviously. <laughs> and I think for many of the folks you work with, that's not something they think about. But it just occurred to me, be interesting to hear that perspective. And it was. Thank you. <laughs> so I love, I just absolutely love your Rainmaker plan. But I know that you mentioned you do SBA loans. What other types of funding could potential franchisees embark upon? Yeah, so we uh, we have a wrap program, which is the Rainmaker Advantage Plan. Uh, that's something uh, that we've designed. Len likes to call it the greed plan because it basically allows you. Uh, but you do need you do need the cash if you're going to put cash into your business. We would probably rec- recommend the wrap, the Rainmaker Advantage Plan, because you can use a t- tiny bit of your retirement funds, five or ten percent of the total amount, and then ninety percent of your cash if you're going to put cash in. But it really is an opportunity for you to save taxes down the road. It's pretty complicated, but at the end of the day, uh, we've we've got a, a lot of them and we're the only ones who offer that. Uh, but, you know, we, we also do on the SBA side, we have a fleet program that's not an SBA loan. Uh, we have lenders that like to work with a lot of the different service brands. So for example, I was just out to see uh, Horsepower, as you know, in Omaha. And a number of their brands or service brands where they have, they have a, a a franchise called iPhone. And iPhone is, uh, you know, the spray foam uh, that insulates the homes. Oh, yeah. A lot of new homes are using that now. It's, it's a lot better technology than, you know, the rolls of the fiberglass. Right. And uh, they they buy the cabin chassis, the truck and the, and the body, but then they've got to equip it with all their special equipment. So the cabin chassis could be maybe, I don't know, $70,000. And then the rest of it may be another $100,000 putting all the equipment on there that's special to their brand. So we have a lender, we have several lenders now that are willing to take a look at the total requirements and working capital and do that. And it's a non-SBA product. Mm. So there's a number of different products out there like that. Uh, we, we also have a, a, a no collateral loan. So mm. that's not for everyone. It's for people that have really great credit scores and assets, even though we don't want the assets. Uh, it's a lot quicker to get done. So if you want to go into business, you want to get in there quick. We can get from one hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for you with no collateral whatsoever, as long as your credit score is in the seven hundreds and you've got assets. Not that we take them, so it really depends on the individual. And what I like to do with our sales team is uh, when we get the referrals from our different referral partners, and we love them all—the franchisors and the business brokers and the franchise consultants. We really just take a, a moment and try to spend some time with Kathleen understand your goals, understand your timing, understand your financial situation, and then make several recommendations on what might be best for you. So it kind of goes back to that tagline on the website, which says we we make dreams into reality for you. So it's Sunday night. I'm going back to my cubicle tomorrow morning. I hate what I do. And my wife is telling me, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I finally say, you know what, we're going to do something. We're going to, we're going to build a business. So we're really not in the funding business. We're in we're in the we're in the dreams business. Oh, I love that. So Benetrans is just a wonderful place to go when you want to figure out how can I fund a business myself. And today, a lot of people want to have their own businesses. So I'm imagine your particular business is booming since you provide a pathway to do that. There are a lot more brands out there. Every mm-hmm. year, there's another two or 3,000 new franchise brands out there, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them are small, smaller investments. Some of them are larger, but uh, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. And I see a lot more people that are younger than ever before. I mean, right. typically, our client was in their early 50s. 
Now, I would tell you, if I look at our clients over the last year or two, they're in their early 40s and some in their 30s. Wow. Uh, so now, you know, some of the younger ones don't really have a lot saved yet in their retirement plan, but they're certainly qualified to do an SBA loan. Mm-hmm. The other thing I, I did want to mention is when you do an SBA loan, typically the lender would require approximately 20% of the total in cash injection and a deposit. So if you wanted to do a $500,000 loan, they'd probably want $100,000 from you. So you've got skin in the game mm-hmm. and then they'll do the other four hundred. dollars uh, You can use the $100,000 in your checking account or you can take your retirement funds and use $100,000 from your half million dollars, your proverbial half million bucks we talked oh, about okay. earlier, yeah. and actually do the cash injection of the SBA loan. So you still have your $100,000 in the bank. We call that post-closing liquidity, liquidity after you closed your loan. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a hundred grand sitting there. And at some point you'll ask me what makes franchisees successful. And I'll tell you now, because it's no secret. First thing you do is follow the system. Second thing you do is never quit at the 50-yard line. And the third thing is you never go in undercapitalized. And that's what we try to help you with. So we try to understand if it's a brand we're aware of, I'll say, well, you're going to need twenty-five dollars or $50,000 in working capital. Why? Well, as soon as you open your doors, you've got your deposits for your utilities and your that's landlord. Right. You've got payroll the first week. You've got training. You've got expenses that are one-time expenses, and some of them are ongoing expenses. But you will need working capital, and we don't right. want to see you end up you know, kind of climbing at the walls because you don't have enough money to do the marketing or hire the extra person you need or the extra piece of equipment you might need to get the job done. So they're my three rules of successful franchisees. Ah, great you rules. Know, like, <laughs> great rules. Yeah. I mean, absolutely great rules. And, you know, I hadn't heard the second one, don't stop at the 50-yard line, but I have definitely heard the admonition about being undercapitalized. I think some folks are so optimistic. They think they'll make tons day one. And uh, they have to pay day one. And and I'll go back to the first rule. Follow the system. Yeah. Um, Before you follow the system, make sure you did your due diligence on the system. But what you don't want to do is go into Yum! Brands and say, I have a better way to make a taco. Right. Uh, When I was a franchisor, I would say to my candidates, we will not have a conversation about things you might want us to look at for at least six months. Why? Most of your questions will get answered in the six months. You'll find out we do some of the things you think we don't do yet. You just haven't come across it yet. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I don't want you to take your eye off the ball. I want you to market your business in your in your community, and I want you to learn the business before you decide, I've got, I've got a great idea, especially for brands that are much more mature. We've been doing it for a long time. Taco Bell doesn't need anyone to come in that knows nothing about the business and decide they're going to tell you what you should be doing after all those years in business. So that was just kind of a rule of ours that says, please, no suggestions for six months. And then there's a process for the suggestion so that it's not just haphazardly or something on the back of a napkin. That's a, that's a good one. Well, we are coming to the end. I want to ask you just a couple more things. One is you mentioned communities and Benetrends gives back to communities in so many ways. Why don't you just tell us about one of your favorite initiatives? Yeah, so a bunch of years ago, uh, I, I've always been a very philanthropic. Uh, I, my, my son was born blind, and when he was, uh, we did a lot of things and learned a lot about raising a blind child. Started a foundation called the Little Rock Foundation, yeah. and we uh, started a summer camp because no one would take my son at camp because he was blind. We had scholarships and things like that. So I've always been uh, able to give back to the community in a big way. 
And when I was when I first started at Benetrends, I said to the team, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody one day a year to do something fun that you never thought you would take a day off for. Mm-hmm. And I'd like it to be community minded, something in the community. That then led to another day a year for you to do something with your family you typically wouldn't do. Maybe go see your nephew at the school play. Oh, I can't take a day off for that. Yes, you can now. The only thing I ask in return is when we have our monthly meetings, jump up and tell us about what you did in the community or jump up and tell us about the thing you did with your family that you typically wouldn't do. And that was well worth the extra day. So we never really saw a a, a decrease in the productivity, but we saw an absolute increase in the culture of the business. Ah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, Rocco, you've done so much um, in your career. I think about your education, all the success, all the folks folks you've helped launch in the business. What are you most proud of personally? I am very proud of the people that have mentored me and allowed me to mentor others. Mm. So I always say all of us are smarter than one of us. And I also say that none of us are going to live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves. (laughs) Now, I'm humble enough to share the mistakes I've made. And I'm also humble enough to ask others about sharing their mistakes with me. Mm -hmm. And just because it was a mistake for someone else doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. It just means I should be aware of the pros and cons of doing whatever it is I'm going to do and be aware. Uh, I was a member of the IFA board of directors for six years, and I ran their membership committee for 11. That taught me a lot. I met a lot of new emerging brands, emerging franchisors coming in. And I would say to them, whatever you do at this convention, get business cards, take them back to your office. Three days here is worth a year at your desk when you get Mm -hmm. back. And I guarantee you, if you call, most of these people will pick up the phone and share with you anything you ask of them. There's there's no secrets left. If you think you have one, buy a safe and put it in there. But there are no secrets left in franchising. It's all about execution and culture. True. So true. And we'll end with you repeating your three pieces of advice for those in franchising. Certainly. It's embedded in my brain. So first rule for successful franchising is follow the system. Second rule, do not dare think of quitting at the 50-yard line. And rule number three, which applies to what we do, please do not go in undercapitalized. And if you don't know what that means, talk to your funding partner, talk to a professional and understand what you need to manage that business financially for the long term. Rocco, I can't thank you enough. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.